Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Lizzo, about damn time. I just could keep listening to that song. You could keep listening. (laughs) And actually, her new album is out. I'm so I'm so thrilled about literally any success that she has. And there is a song on the album called Everybody's Gay, and I think we need to get that in the loop here on the stage. What? Oh, yes. Come yes. on. What? It's, I can't believe we don't. I know. That's so obvious it ju- to me. It just came out on Friday, um, and Everybody's Gay, I'm obsessed with it because not only is it a queer song, but it kind of has some like Halloween undertones, and Halloween oh. is my favorite holiday. So of course it is. The, duh. I love Look Halloween, at me. too. Uh, Hello. We were like two, you three can't, months You can't out. see it, but she has this fabulous like purple, red-purple hair. I've got Halloween. Halloween tattoos. Wow. I am all. Do you up. love Nightmare Before Christmas? I do. It's not my favorite. Coraline is your my favorite. favorite. Oh, Coraline. Um, okay. Coraline. I have my Coraline tattoo. My Beetlejuice tattoo. Wow. I'll probably get an Oogie Boogie um, from Nightmare Before Christmas. So yeah. I tell I, you what. If I'm ever brain. in a situation where I think there's a supernatural force that's about to kill everybody I'm with, <laughs> I'm going to be in Shelby's team because Shelby will live. I. You're going to be connecting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll absolutely. I'll find connect. you, and you will not be able to get rid of yes. me. Yes. Anywho, Lizzo. <laughs> Rezo- re- revelations here yes. on the show. <laughs> it uh, all started with Lizzo. Yes, yeah. Lizzo. All but, things come down to. Lizzo. Lizzo, the album is really great and I highly recommend it. And I wish we could get her on again. That'd be a lot of fun. Maybe hey. we can. Yes, let's manifest. Yes. Well, uh, coming up on the show, how soon after getting COVID can you get it again? And this Game of Thrones star talks about health issues coming up in the T Report. Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Senator Ted Cruz, in an episode of his podcast, Verdict Plus, says the Supreme Court was wrong legalizing same sex marriage. Uh, in Obergefell, the court said, no, we know better than you guys do. And now every state must uh, m- must sanction and, and permit gay marriage. Um, I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. It was the court overreaching. You're overreaching. Yeah. Like, you know, just could you I, I seem to go back to Cancun and stay there. Right. Um, <laughs> all all. All bad people go to Cancun. No, that's bad. I'm actually going to Cancun in a few yeah, weeks. Yeah, speaking of. No, that holds. All bad people do go to Cancun, Shira. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're talking more about uh, Ted Cruz and this statement. Uh, but moving on, a uh, judge has blocked by the Biden administration's directives on trans athletes in bathrooms. So this judge in Tennessee has temporarily blocked these directives, allowing trans workers and students to use bathrooms and locker rooms and join sports teams that correspond with their gender identity. The plaintiffs in the case argued that... The federal directive clashed with state laws and prevented states from enforcing their own laws that banned trans school bathroom use. Well, duh, that's why Biden did it. Like, so, uh, yeah. The judge agreed that uh, in this opinion, the state continues 
or cannot continue regulating pursuant to their state laws while simultaneously complying with defendant's guidance. So this is just a really frustrating continued back and forth between just these states that maintain these horrific policies and then the Biden administration trying to do something. Well, yeah. And every time something like this happened, I think about, by the way, I'm from East Tennessee. So this really strikes close to home for me. And I think about, you know, they complain about blue states not letting them have, you know, con, you know, discriminatory laws, but then they take our, our money because we spend taxpayers in blue states subsidize the roads and the schools and everything in red states because we pay more in taxes per person. <sighs> Okay, that, insane? that needs to be a soundbite. Right? Where is your new soundbite? All right. Come on. Uh, right. The recounts indicate that. Come on. Okay, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? So my queen, my goddess, uh, Khaleesi, uh, uh, mother mm-hmm. of dragons and breaker of chains, uh, Amelia Clark, has uh, been counting her blessings, according to 2fab.com, since fully recovering after two brain aneurysms. Wow. So she says basically there's a remarkable amount of her brain that's just not there anymore when they do scans. And um, and it's very rare. If She's one of you know a small minority of people who can fully recover after having two brain aneurysms. That is just crazy. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I mean, the brain is a powerful thing. It can just reconnect and do things. I mean, through exercises and rehabilitation and all that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's um it's a it's a thing and I think we under we we don't talk enough about you know the things that can happen to your brain and how much we need to be mindful of these things cuz yes. stuff like that can happen to young people. Mm-hmm. And of course they, those risks increase as we age, but but I think young people like to think they're invincible and then something like this can happen. So, you know, sending a lot of love to Amelia and appreciating that she's, you know, using her struggles to raise awareness. She's a an incredible person. She's able to speak still even with all of that. I mean, yeah. obviously function and very high, yeah, high functioning. Yeah, I want to be her best friend. And if we could make that happen at Channel Q, yes. that would be ideal. She's beautiful and smart. I agree. Yes. I'm a fan. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. A Texas House of Representatives com- uh, committee put out a 77-page report on the Uvalde, Texas shooting. Now, the report placed blame on every law enforcement group on the scene, and that consisted of about 400 local, state, and federal officers. And joining us to share more about this report is national correspondent at The Washington Post, Arellis Hernandez. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Now, did we learn anything new from this that we didn't know before as, you know, a lot has come out, obviously, details about what had happened on the scene uh, since it happened? Yeah, no. So a lot of what was in the report were things that we had learned through various media leaks, through disclosures uh, by other public officials, including the head of the Texas Department of Public Safety, Steve McCraw, Stephen McCraw. Um, but there were some some sort of specific details that that we that emerged from this report. For example, um, we know a lot more about the the young gunman who carried out this massacre, about some of the warning signs that he displayed in his behavior, as well as in his sort of school attendance record. And the fact that, you know, there is very little to no intervention in the life of, you know, this child growing up in Uvalde and later uh, as an adult and when he you know, got to the point where he could purchase these weapons. I think what we also got a full view of was sort of the totality of circumstances as well as what should have happened, a sense of what should happen. Um, we hear in Pete Arredondo's own words, or at least we read, excuse me, in Pete Arredondo's own words, what he was thinking when he made some of the miscalculations about whether this was an active shooter situation or a barricaded subject. Um, and, and finally, you know, there's it's a very dense report, but 
the sheer number of law enforcement that responded to that you know particular situation uh, 376 nearly 400 you know law enforcement agents wow. and to be fair you know not all of them were fully aware of what's going on or had direct communication but you know dozens of individuals were either in that hallway or right outside and had some sense that you know children and teachers were being killed mm. Wow. How is this report being received? Because on the one hand, I know that the, the community would ha, has wanted more information this whole time. And I also, you know, because this was put out by a, a legislature or a committee that a legislature formed, I, I have to wonder if it's being read as credible. How is it being received? For the most part, uh, the sense that I get in reaching out to different folks in Uvalde today um, was that people are still absorbing. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it confirms what you know, they already knew, but the sort of the, the starkness and the details um, are, are pretty difficult to understand. It's sobering in the sense that, you know, if you were a public official in this community, there are some serious questions you're going to have to answer about what comes next and what accountability looks like. Um, there's still lots of questions that families have. For example, this report did not get into, like, you know, the report said what should have happened and what normally would happen, but it didn't sort of get specific about what agencies should have been doing what, like what, who was responsible for what, apart from, you know, Arredondo having written the active shooter protocol and assigning himself that role and, and, but, you know, not taking that role in that moment. Wow. Wow. So yeah, was it clear what could have been done differently I think in many respects, the the report kind of leans on a a previous report by Texas State University researchers who run an active shooter training program for law enforcement in the state, and that, you know, there are other options that law enforcement had, you know, if this high-powered rifle's bullets were were piercing the sheetrock, was there another way to access that room to get at the shooter? Um, there were a number of different things that these folks train for and that are equipped for that simply were not carried out. But, you know, it's the sort of the crux of the situation was the chaos around who was actually in command and who was calling the shots and who should have been. Hmm. I, I just, you know, we don't have much time left, but I'm curious if you have a sense of what's what's yet to unfold. What's next in this whole saga? Well, there's still uh, some investigations that are taking place by Texas Rangers and the Uvalde District Attorney. I presumably will learn from those investigations whether there'll be any criminal charges uh, filed Mm. against any law enforcement or public officials who were involved. Um, And, you know, accountability is, is the next thing. What will accountability look like for these communities and, you know, the dozens of law enforcers that were out there and the public officials who have oversight over them? Definitely. Okay. Well, that was national correspondent at the Washington Post, Arellis Hernandez. Thank you again. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, next up, Senator Ted Cruz says the Supreme Court was clearly wrong to legalize gay marriage. And we're going to be talking about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, Senator Ted Cruz continues to say all the wrong things and do all the wrong things. He recently spoke on his podcast, Verdict Plus, about how the Supreme Court had mentioned about same-sex marriage when they overturned Roe v. Wade, specifically Judge Clarence Thomas. Mm. So here's what Cruz had to say. Uh, In Obergefell, the court said, no, we know better than you guys do, and now every state must must sanction and and permit gay marriage. Um, I think that decision was clearly wrong when it was decided. 
it was the court overreaching. Okay, uh, and you can imagine him saying that he's in a position to really control and amplify that narrative, which is very concerning. And this is like one of the bigger stories, including for the LGBTQ community today. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reality is um, the argument that states should be allowed to make decisions like this um, applies to all the things that are not explicitly outlined in the Constitution. So that means um, uh, segregation of schools. That means uh, interracial marriage. That means access to contraception, uh, the right to have private sex acts in your own home, the right to access pornography, literally anything that and all the things I just listed are things the Supreme Court did, not things that the Constitution did or federal laws did. They all of those rulings exist because state laws prohibited them. So Ted Cruz is telling us, you know, Yes, states should be allowed to ban same-sex marriage, and if the states can do that, then any other law like it that exists because of a Supreme Court ruling is effectively under the same potential risk. At the same time, then he does say, well, he gets that it's a bit different because it involves the killing of a of a, a human, look, right? Look, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. These The three new Supreme Court justices who gave us the impression that they weren't going to change the law of the land on abortion did it after telling us directly and indirectly that they wouldn't. So why would we now believe the new party line is, oh, we did it on this yeah. one thing, we're not going to do it on anything else? That doesn't make sense. That so what, make do, sense. what do we take from this? I mean, it's just him throw, throwing this out on the podcast. Is it that big of a deal? Well, in one way, no, uh, because Ted Cruz is a relatively... I mean, he's really almost universally unliked in in Congress. He's just somebody who gets a lot of press, so they give him attention. Um, and, you know, he gets a lot of press by saying these things. So in just by talking about it, we're kind of doing him the favor he wanted. Yeah. But, you know, remember that if, if um, the Republicans take the White House and they take the Senate, they don't even have to have the House. They can appoint more Supreme Court justices. They don't even have to have the House for that. So, and that's why. But isn't there a max of Supreme Court? You can, there, there can be, I think, of up to twenty-one. So why doesn't uh, Biden do that now? Well, uh, because we don't have. If we had two more Democratic senators oh, yeah, right now, it, we could. It. But there are two Democratic senators who won't got do it. it. But if we elect two more in the fall, then he can pack the Supreme Court with more justices. So that's how we pre- how we protect ourselves against this because the Supreme Court will absolutely come for other rights. They're just waiting. Clarence waiting. Thomas literally asked for people to bring lawsuits that will make them ask it's these questions. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, horrible. Horrible. Did I say- <laughs> Terrifying. Awful, no, it's terrifying and horrible. horrible. I like it. I like horrible. it. Also, also an insult you could throw at someone, perhaps. Horrible. <laughs> By the way, the voice you're listening to, you might be wondering, is Ryan Basham, who's filling in for Ryan Mitchell today, um, our political commentator. So I just love having you on during days like this where we can really dive into these conversations um, and understand what's happening, right? The nuances of it. Because I think that the more this is talked about publicly, including from senators or just any uh, right wing lawmaker, or conservative lawmaker, it, it is concerning. Yeah, it's it should be, you know, I think we should be beyond, oh, that couldn't happen. Because that's what we said until, you know, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And there have been many instances yeah. of we, Donald Trump could never become president. You know, we keep saying these things and then they happen. I think, you know, the plan should be if you don't want gay marriage and interracial marriage and the segregation of schools, if you don't want those things changed, yeah. the plan should be get two more Democratic senators in the fall and then pressure the Biden administration to appoint more Supreme Court justices. All right. So with that said, this is a bit of like a spontaneous question for you. Go so for you might it. not have the answer. Uh-oh. But what are the two <laughs> states that we more, most likely can get those two senators? Um, Do you know? Provided we hold the state of Georgia 
Um, Whoa, that's that's also hard. Going to be challenging. Yeah, and same with Nevada. Uh, Pennsylvania right. is one. Wisconsin is one. Maybe even Ohio. There are several places where it could happen. Really? Yeah. You feel good about that? I feel really good about it. Yeah, I mean, look, it's close, but I feel good about it. We just have to show up and get, we have to do the boring stuff like phone bank and get people to go get out and vote. That's, that's just how it has to be. But if we, if enough, this is the thing, it's a midterm election. If Democrats show up, we'll win. But Democrats don't always show up in midterm but elections. But do you think that because of these issues at hand, possibly? Right now, the polling does not indicate that the, <gasps> that the row re- issue alone is enough to get en- Democrats out to that. What to is vote. enough? What is enough? Well, you know, we're months out, so it could change. But a part of it is making sure people understand. Here's the thing. Most Americans don't fully grasp what's happened yet. I know that because I have conversations every day with people I know, and it's, like, tiring. Yeah. Where they're like, but is really, is America such a bad country? And, like, we're obviously here for a reason. Like, how bad is it out there? And I'm like... I mean, look, here's the thing. Is any country perfect? No. no Are we no, on a backward slide for right? how bad is it? It's like, I think you're not seeing yeah. what's happening right well, now. They, and they definitely heard about that 10-year-old who got raped and yes. then had to cross state lines to get an abortion. I mean, these stories, we just need to make sure average everyday people who don't follow the news as much as we do know about yeah, it. Yeah, but then they're going to say, like, we're politicizing it. Or well, yeah, it's a political issue. Or has bait. Right. Well, it's a political issue. So, yes, we are. Okay, well, there you have it. Nevada, Georgia, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, we're coming for you. Let's go. Let's go. I'm pumped. Are you? Go to victoryinstitute.org, by the way, to find those uh, those candidates. Great place to go, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, next up, this dating app is featuring backlash for some gender stereotyping. More next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So, a user of the dating app Bumble said that after, uh, so, so that... You know, when you're, when you're on Bumble as a heterosexual person and you want to match with the opposite sex, women have to start the message, right? Or start the conversation, right? Women message first. Well, this oh, yeah, the, not the guy. Right, exactly. So this person initially identified as a woman, as a female on, on Bumble, and then changed uh, their identity to non-binary, and then um, was put in a situation where they at first didn't have to wait because they were identified as a woman, so they could message first. But once they were uh, identified as non-binary, the rules for men started mm. to apply. So, you know, that is, is that that's weird, right? It is. But then at the same time, it's like this idea of keeping, quote unquote, women in the safe spaces. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like that they have the power because typically they don't. Is that kind of I, what it is? I guess because I don't understand the. I mean, I'm not a woman dating men, so I don't know. Well, can I producer Shelby? Can I get you I, in on this? Because producer Shelby is non-binary. How do you yes. feel about this? I feel well. First of all, I've never been on a dating app. So what? wow, congrats! Yeah, thank you. Wow. Um, so I'm. I first of all didn't know that Bumble is like a, a women address men first thing, but oh, it yeah. sounds like the app is just not built for queer people. It That's seems true. like it's just built for straight cis people looking for hetero relationships, and then. With that, I feel like we should just leave that to the straight people and welcome more uh, apps for queer people. Yeah. So there's not these stupid rules. It's not like a Sadie Hawkins dance. Like things aren't as black and white as that. So if you want that to be your rule, then sure, get on that app if you're a heterosexual person. Looking yeah, for that kind of like it's almost like maybe you need to ask the person, like, do you want to make the first move or do you want them to make the first move? And then you get to decide who makes the first move or something like that. 
I, I don't know. Maybe feels, this is antiquated. Bumble yeah. app needs a little to bit, evolve. But their, but their whole mm-hmm. gimmick when they launched was, you know, women exactly. start the match conversation, right? Because there was nothing like that out there. Exactly. But here's the thing, though. I mean, as a gay man, I, I can only appreciate my experience on it. But it's just been normal dating app rules for me the whole time Wait, I've so used it. Wait, so you're on Bumble? I have been. Oh, well, so technically, I still am. It is. But it is. How does it work well, for you? Well, so, so here's the thing. As Bumble has evolved, they have, like, uh, tried to be more inclusive. I think they have, like, 21 different gender identity options now yeah. or something like that so they've evolved but I and it kind of mirrors the way that queer people have existed in society since the dawn of time like our our relationship experiences our dating experiences our sexual experiences are all kind of appendices to the experience of straight cisgender people so you know just in dating apps like everything else they they make rules after the fact for the rest of us so that we can fit into this space it's where straight like people a, already are. It's all like a foundation of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I think there have been attempts to launch exclusively queer dating apps, oh, yeah. but I don't know that mm-hmm. any of them are particularly successful, except Grinder. But that's a different yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just not popularized. But I do think it's interesting on that point that it's like even though they're creating these kind of rules or quote unquote exceptions for queer people. Regardless, they're still going to be categorized under the binary because, mm. like, sure, there's the rule of only the women are allowed to reach out to the men first. But once you're non-binary, you're all of a sudden under the umbrella of the men's rules. So it's like no option for wiggle room, it seems like, with these things. So I do think we need more queer exclusive apps that aren't grinder. And <laughs> I don't know what it takes to get those popularized, though, because I'm sure they exist. I just don't know well, how yeah, to get them into the mainstream. Tinderbot. Uh, one that was, or one of them bought a queer dating yeah. app. Well, I think sometimes before. they get bought up and then they get disappeared. Not on purpose, yeah, just that's because true. they're not. I think it's harder to make them profitable if they're not. You know, I mean, because we're we're only like five to ten percent of the human population, as as far as. People as as reporting in the census, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's hard, but but having said that, there are plenty of brands that reach queer people all the time and have wild success. You know, so I've I've seen the phrase, the name Andrew Christian on more pairs of underwear in public. Then I can count. Just saying. Okay. Just well, saying. Room for improvement. Bumble, get it together. Get it together. Well, on that note, I think uh, I think we've really hit the Bumble nail on the head. Uh, <laughs> coming up next, we got some. Uh, <laughs> Good one. Thank you. I don't know where that came from or if it should ever come back. So coming up next, we have some more top of the hour news, right? And, and that includes what Bernie Sanders had to say about Biden visiting Saudi Arabia okay. next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Yes, we are back. It's Shira. Ryan Mitchell is out, but Ryan Basham is in. Out with the old, in with the new. I mean, you know when Ryan Seacrest used to go, Ryan, out. (laughs) You know who I'm never going to replicate in any way in my life? Ryan Seacrest. (laughs) Don't, don't need to emulate him at all. Any, I, although he he's iconic. Yeah, but. sure. I, I did the one time I saw him in person. He was driving a Maserati, so I'll copy that. Oh, hello. Right? Who doesn't know. want a Maserati? Well, I don't know. There's probably a lot of work to keep. No, up or... I say these days, stay <laughs> humble, low key. Let no one know that you have any money, so they don't follow you home and try to steal. Everything. That's a real thing. I'm just saying. Just saying. Exactly. All right, let's get into what's going on. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about how the BA5 variant could reinfect you right after infection. Then the heat wave sweeping the planet. What that looks like in California in 30 minutes. Let's get into some what's trending this hour though. Right now. Senator Bernie Sanders, in an interview with ABC, criticized Joe Biden's visit to Saudi Arabia, saying it rewarded a dictatorship and should have never taken place, giving its leaders involvement in murdering a journalist. You've referred to Saudi Arabia as a brutal dictatorship that crushes democracy. Should should Biden have gone? No, I I don't think so. You have a a leader of that country uh, who was involved in the murder of a Washington Post journalist. Uh, I don't think that that type of government should be rewarded uh, with a visit by the president of the United States. Well, well, well. What are your thoughts? Was that a bad move? I think it's a both. Um, I think the reality is he probably didn't have a choice. That's the thing. And we talked about it with Char. I think it was Char last week. I'm losing track. But I said, like, it's one of those things, like, in the end, we are doing business with them. Right? And it's like, you can avoid it, but it's not going to help. But that's why he didn't give the guy a hug. You know, he did a fist bump. He did what he had to do. Yeah, the, the international oil market is such that you can't avoid one country, really. Um, you kind of can, but the price is set on the international market anyway. So it just is an unavoidable, yeah. it's an unhappy alliance, but we don't really have a choice until we give up fossil fuels. Yeah. All right, well, moving on to the CDC. Um, Rochelle Walensky warned that the spread of monkeypox, an outbreak that has occurred primarily among gay and bisexual men, would increase in the coming weeks. And she said the increase is because of, one, the CDC streamlining its reporting process to allow states to report new cases more quickly and accurately. Two, with more cases in the U.S., an increase in the resulting exposure of these cases will happen in the coming weeks. And three, a significant increase in the number of people seeking lab tests and the number of specimens being submitted for testing is happening, too. So all of that is going to show an increase in monkeypox. But the hope is there's some sort of solution or more vaccine accessibility soon. I am so ready for my vaccine. I'm like, where can I get it? Bring it, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news? Well, by the way, I know where I want a vaccine for monkeypox, but it's it's only a theoretical need right now. Uh, I'm a very lonely person. Um, (laughs) Just in case for the future. Just for the future. Just want to be prepared. So um, Chris Pratt is a little afraid of being haunted by the ghost of Harrison Ford. He was recently asked if he would take over the role of Indiana Jones, um, and he 
referred to a, a quote from uh, Harrison Ford a couple years ago from an interview where he said, like, when I die, Indiana, Indy dies with me. Like, no one can t- follow in my footsteps. And so he's like, I, and so he kind of really was obfuscating because probably that conversation has been had and he can't talk about it. Yeah. But, you know, still, I, honestly, I love Indiana Jones. I don't know if I would want to see anyone else in that role. I mean, the new generation probably doesn't even know about it. So. I guess that's true. I <laughs> that's guess that's the sad true. Part. I actually do need to watch that movie again. But this is one of those things that, say, when Harrison Ford does pass, yeah. I feel like it's going to be that thing that we're like, there's always going to be a hex on the movie, like if anyone else plays. Oh, him. sure, yeah. Something like that, like the ghost yeah. of Harrison Ford. Yeah, it's, I mean, he's coming, there's another one coming out, I think, next year, and he turned 80 this year. Wow. So, So he's still cranking him out in his, you know, in the twilight of his life. Looking so, good. you know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll All see. Right. Okay. Well, coming up next with previous variants of COVID-19, you were safe from infection, as we know, if you just had the virus. Now with this new one, BA5, it doesn't care if you just had it. We're talking about that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, now there are a lot of sub-variants of the Omicron variant of COVID. They have grown cases in the U.S. We're now, though, in BA5 territory. So what does that all mean? Umer Irfan joins us as a senior staff writer at Vox. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Okay, well, let's get into this. Can you tell us more about the BA5 sub-variant? What are we dealing with? Yeah, so uh, this is sort of an iteration of the Omicron variant that we saw uh, go completely wild across the U.S. over this past winter that led to a massive spike in cases. But Omicron itself was a huge shift from the previous variants that we've seen before. If you look at their genetic code, scientists were really puzzled when that first erupted. But since then, since Omicron took root, it's been undergoing much more subtle changes. And so we saw BA1, BA2, rather than these big uh, Greek letters being assigned to it, because the changes between the virus now are much more small. And there's only um, a handful of mutations now that separate BA4 from BA5. Mm. But those mutations are important because they really affect how well our immune system can detect the virus. And that's really what we're seeing play out now. So the uh, specific mutations there are making it really hard for antibodies that you generate to previous versions of the virus to attach to this one. And so people who've been infected before, people who've been vaccinated, are starting to make up a larger proportion of the infected people now with BA5. And even some folks who've had Omicron this past winter with some of the earlier subvariants are getting reinfected with BA5 now. And so that's changing the game a little bit here with what we would expect with the transmission of the virus. Okay, I I had a question I was about to ask you, but then something you just said gave me another question, which is, so you said people who had Omicron like in the winter. So somebody who had an Omicron a month ago, they had BA4, or even they've already had BA5, are those folks still at risk of getting infected again? Or is it earlier Omicron? I wouldn't say that the risk is zero from the the more recent versions of Omicron, but generally, I think if you've had um, sort of like an underlying condition, for instance, or if you're previously um, you know immunocompromised, or if you have an other yeah. other kinds of other underlying health conditions, usually what uh, a lot of folks in hospitals and, and workers there um, and doctors are saying is that what one of the things that they see is what they call COVID plus. So basically, people are showing up in hospitals now with COVID plus another underlying condition, and so oh. we're seeing that this is the sort of the tipping point that's pushing people into more severe health outcomes. So uh, very likely, if you are have been infected maybe in the past couple of weeks, you may still have some robust levels of protection that would protect you against BA5. Some of the earlier levels of Omicron less so. And then if you have sort of an underlying health condition on top of that, 
then that also pushes your risk higher. So it's sort of a sliding scale between a lot of different factors, which is part of why it's so hard to come up with any kind of categorical recommendation for so many people, that essentially the risks are now so individualized that a lot of people are just taking different levels of precautions if they're taking any precautions at all. Which I feel like this is inevitably where this is going to be headed, right? And I mean, do you think that a an updated shot will help with this at this point? Or is it kind of like, you know, at your own risk? I mean, to a limited extent. I mean, we have to think about what we really want the vaccines to do. When they first came out, you know, they were measured efficacy in terms of disease, not infection, right? We were looking at cases that lead to symptoms and particularly the cases that land people in the hospital and that lead to death. So far, the vaccines still do a really good job of preventing deaths, even against the latest variants. Mm. And so for people who are immunocompromised or maybe at higher risk, it may make more sense to have a tuned vaccine that's updated to deal with these other variants. But at the same time, across the U.S., you know, we hit sort of a plateau in our vaccination rate. We're at about 70 to 80 percent vaccination, and we still have a persistent set of the population, about 20 percent of people that just won't get vaccinated. And so continuing to update the vaccines when you have a large segment of the population that's still vulnerable may not really help us at the population level that we're hoping to see, you know, these results. And so that's why we're still seeing transmission and that's why we're still seeing these sort of mutations in the virus continuing to evolve in ways that elude immunity because we have this mixed immunity condition where we have people that are highly vaccinated, people who have their booster, people who've had up to their fourth dose, but then you also have people who've had no exposure at all to the virus. And so that combination is just the ideal condition for getting the virus to mutate. And so again, just to say this out front, we have like 30 seconds. Like if you get it, you can basically get reinfected like what the next day once you're negative. Is that that close? As far as I can tell, that's not the case. And oh, okay. the good news is, even though if you've had the, the uh, virus, the cases, the, like, the, the severity of the infection is a lot less if you've had it recently. So that tends to be the one bit of good news here. Oh. I like good news. I mean, who needs checkers when you can play chess? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was Imer Arfan, senior staff writer at Vox. Thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. What's coming up next, Ryan? Oh, man. You know what? Uh, I'm, we're gonna, I'm actually really excited about the song. We're going to oh. come in on from break on this because I'm, it's, it's really, it kind of sucks, but it's a fun song to sing. We're going to talk about the heat wave crossing California, the country, and the world next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. I, you know, when, when awful things are happening in the world, I try to find a little bit of levity, and that's why right? I, I wanted to use that song. I so, you know, uh, and this this is a, a real challenge we're facing as a species, and it's only getting worse. A heat wave is sweeping the world, seemingly hitting the UK the hardest, where they're actually spraying sand on the roads just to keep them from melting. What? Uh, but in California, we'll be seeing both high temperatures and power outages across the, sh- the state. Joining us is medical student and climate activist Hannah Hundal, who wrote a piece for the LA Times about the struggle we will be facing with both the temperatures and the power outages resulting from them. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me, and thank you for your interest in my piece. Well, gosh, yeah. it affects all of us. Uh, can you just give us give us the rundown? How serious of a, of a threat is uh, the power outage stuff related to the heat wave in California? Yeah, you know, it, it's a really dangerous situation, and I think the medical community is only really beginning to wake up to the fact that this is a real health crisis. And as I read about in my article, we don't really have a widely available toolkit to tackle it. You know, at the center of this challenge is climate change, which is making these extremely hot days more frequent and more severe. And the problem is you have so many people who either don't have access to air conditioning 
Or when you have these really hot days and the power goes out, you know, the insides are effectively as scorching as the outsides. And so you're, you're finding all these, you know, increases in emergency room visits. And it's really just a terrible situation all around. I can relate yeah. to that. I live in an old house, mm-hmm. and it's hotter sometimes yeah. in my house than it is outside. Yeah, it's wild. Well, that goes back to construction, like building uh, homes and apartment buildings with this knowledge, right? I mean, it's a whole infrastructure change. It, it's a whole change in infrastructure, a whole change in attitude and mindset. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the COVID pandemic really also exposed a lot of the health disparities that permeate across the medical system. Yeah. And that's so true as well for, um, you know, heat-related illnesses. You find that, you know, in communities of color, households of color, they're less likely to have access to air conditioners. Um, And actually, the greatest increase in emergency room visits from heat-related illnesses is for uh, people of color. So, you know, as you're saying, it's it's a total systemic change that needs to happen to make sure that people can stay safe as the weather uh, gets warmer. I feel like we're one failed AC unit away from being in danger right now. And I, I, so I guess my question is, what can we do if we're at risk for something, you know, for a health challenge as a result of this heat? Yeah, you know, um, what's really interesting, and it's something I cover in my piece, you know, back in 2019, um, one of the medical utilities, sorry, energy utilities in California initiated widespread power shutoffs due to fire hazards. And what happened is with so many people who were needing power for their medical devices, um, such as, you know, um, um, you know, ventilators or dialysis machines um, and people who needed their medications to be refrigerated. And all of a sudden they have to go for several days without power, which can really, really put their lives at risk. Um, So, you know, typically, I mean, what's advised in these kind of situations is for you know, people with these medical needs to have backup generators. But again, that's not something that everybody can afford or even have access to. So it's really difficult. And I think what we need is a community-wide, statewide, and really countrywide approach to making sure that people have access to the resources they need to withstand these really hot periods. Yeah, and you mentioned about Governor Gavin Newsom's recently released Extreme Heat Action Plan, how it's a promising start. But can can you go over what do you feel is promising about it? And as someone who's looking at this in an analytical way, what can be done that's realistic at this point or for the long mm-hmm. term? Yeah, yeah. So like, as I mentioned in the article, you know, when there was a power outage on campus, where I'm currently at at Stanford, um, the, the university was able to establish cooling centers So, you know, these areas where students could go have access to air conditioning, recharge their devices. Um, And that's because the university had the resources to put that on. But in communities, often you don't you don't see this. Right. And so I think what's important about Gavin Newsom's plan is it kind of lays out some frameworks for establishing these kind of centers and communities as the heat waves hit. Um, but what's important is we have to make sure that actually happens, right? We can we can talk the talk, but we need to walk the walk. And so one thing I advocate for in the article is making sure there's actually deadlines for these things, um, you know, deadlines for establishing the infrastructure. So unhoused people, you know, people without access to air conditioning, people with medical needs can go to these central places during power outages and heat waves um, and actually be able to, to get the resources that they need. So if, if someone's galvanized by this conversation we're having or the piece that you wrote, uh, what, what's the next step that someone, who, an everyday Californian who wants to do something about this, what's the next step they can take? What can they do to help get this change rolling? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, there's actually a lot of change to be made locally, which is really important. Um, Los Angeles actually recently established a HEAC officer um, who's going to be in charge, hopefully, of kind of coordinating responses on the community level. Um, when these extreme heat events hit. 
But I'd like to see that in every community, right? And so this is, you know, a chance, I think, for people to really speak out in local elections and to make sure that their communities are covered. Um, you know, the, the plan that Gavin Newsom put forth is really to, it, it talks a lot about supporting community-level responses, which tells me that a lot of the action on this front is going to have to start at the community level. You know, so I'd really uh, I encourage people to, you know, go to, um, you know, write, write to their local elected officials um, to make sure that there's plans in place. Okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, are you seeing, besides what Newsom is doing, anything else that seems to work that is an example of what we, how, or what we will be doing in the future? Yeah, you know, one thing, um, as, someone, as someone, you know, training to serve patients in the future as, as a doctor, I, um, I really think that this is a conversation that the medical community has to be having as well. Oh. How do we plug into community resources to make sure that our patients are safe? You know, increasingly, I think doctors are becoming more involved in public health response, realizing that care in the clinic has to be supplemented by care outside the clinic, right? These broader community responses that are so important for our patients. And so, you know, another thing, I, looking forward, I'd really like to see more doctors getting involved in uh, making sure that communities have the resources to keep their patients safe. Uh, I, this is such a fascinating topic. I feel like we could talk about it for minutes and minutes and minutes, but we only have a few and now they're up, so we have to go. But thank you so much for joining, uh, joining us. Hannah Hundal is a researcher and an MD candidate at the Stanford School of Medicine and has this great op-ed in the LA Times. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Well, next up, this study shows what hearing verbal insults can do to your brain. That and more, we're talking about it next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You know that saying, what they did was like a slap in the face, right? Yeah. Like, someone doesn't actually physically slap you, but what they did, their words, their actions were a slap in the face. Well, researchers are saying that that actually is true. Like, words and insults can actually negatively impact your brain and create emotional damage. Wow. So it's not just, oh, yeah, well, it's it's not just about words, it's actions. No, words are as good or as bad as actions. Wow. Right? Um, Which really makes sense to me as someone who's, like, pretty sensitive. Some, you know, obviously I've never been in a physical altercation, really. But... um, I do feel like the hurt of words. Mm. Well, I, it makes sense to me too because I am vicious. And <laughs> <laughs> You're like, watch out, watch out. Um, I mean, it really. I mean, it, it's it's logical, right? I think we downplay the impact that uh, that unkind words are supposed to have. Yes. But but more and more science is showing us that that words matter. They do. And studies uh, authors in the Netherlands who did this, they wanted to examine the unique connection between emotion and language. So they studied 79 women measuring how the brain responds to three different kinds of speech, insults, compliments, and neutral facts. And they actually found that um, insults pose a threat to someone's sense of self. And so they provide a unique opportunity to study this dynamic. And then I would say, like, these studies come out so we can possibly shift how we behave, whether it be personally, professionally, or otherwise, right? And this is why communication is so important, how we communicate, what we communicate in different settings. Well, we know that um, when someone's sense of self is deteriorating, it impacts every area of their life. I mean, people are more likely to uh, self-sabotage, to commit crimes, to be unkind to others, to do bad things. I mean, it's just kind of a knock-on effect. So, um, I mean, I guess if you want someone to fail in life, insult them? I don't know. I just... Well, I think the learning for me is, one, to realize that severity and seriousness, like you don't need to be um, physical 
physical abuse, verbal, uh, you can be verbally abusive. And that doesn't necessarily mean, let's be clear, like swearing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or even, okay, screaming. I would say it could be more subtle than that. Yeah. It's like, you know, you putting someone down, you, um, the communication of, how how you make someone question themselves. Yeah. Right? And are you building confidence or are you constantly bringing someone down? And that could actually impact very directly their mental health. Yeah. Or like, you know, you can communicate to someone in a way that makes it very clear to them that you don't respect them or you don't think their work is good or yep. something like that. And you might not even realize you're doing it. Yeah. And that has a that has an impact. Um, which we all know, like, how many times are you around people? They're like, wow, when I'm around you, like, I just feel like anything's possible. You lift me mm-hmm. up or I feel like better, even no matter what the scenario is happening. And then there's other times there are people that are like, wow, no matter what happens, I feel like crap. And that, you know, there's a bit of like a personal accountability to that. But then it's also important to look at like, well, how is that person talking to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that, and, and we each get to, to realize our impact on others. Absolutely. Whether it be like you're in the car, someone I was, and we need a wrap, but like I was crossing like a, a driveway, literally just leisurely on Saturday. And someone literally was like, just very angry and super mean. Obviously I was like, this person is crazy. But, but still. She's like, wrap it up. Oh, you're smiling at me. Oh, is this funny to you? And I'm like, oh my God, what <laughs> happened in your life, in your Tesla that you're so angry? I mean, you know, someone did something, man. Your words and actions impact someone, whether you know them or they're a stranger. Yes. So be heads kind. up, be kind. Exactly. Rewind. <laughs> let's, let's move on. More trending headlines, including what candy company is facing a lawsuit for chemicals used in their popular candy. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medela. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Modelo, the markable fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Welcome back and more music coming up right here on Channel Q. Uh, but right now we're getting some more show. I'm Shira. Ryan Mitchell is out. Ryan Basham filling in in the studio. I'm just so tickled to be here. I know. It's it's lovely to have you. It's lovely to have me too. Really? <laughs> I'm glad you really, you know, think highly of yourself. I, somebody that's better. Actually, that's the key to it all. Right? Have confidence in, you know, you have a lot ahead. <laughs> ahead? Oh, you think I'm young? <laughs> you have a lot to, you know. I'm a lot. I use what I'm hearing. <laughs> wow. You're a lot, Ryan. Ryan Basham. <laughs> coming in strong and hot. <laughs> Speaking of hot, we just got uh, over a conversation about the heat wave. Yeah. We had a conversation. Were you dying this weekend? 
Yes. Was it hot for I you? went to an outdoor wedding yesterday. Yeah. And it Sweaty. was. Yes. What do you wear? Do you wear like a whole suit? or? Do you uh, yes, have a... but I have a, ta- a couple tailored suits that are of light color. And the, the lining in the jacket doesn't go all the way down the back. So oh, it okay. is kind of ventilated. Oh, that's nice. So like, I, have a, I have a whole. They also gave out parasols at this thing. And I brought sunblock. I came prepared. Yeah, you don't look like burnt. Yeah, that's on all. purpose. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. I'm well... lightly melanated. So I have to be very careful. <laughs> so, yeah, like uh, my, I didn't say this on air but I live in a house with someone and it's his house and the air conditioning broke and so I've been having nothing and fan which my boyfriend continues to remind me like it's not healthy to be sleeping in this because when we got back home last night it was like 80 degrees in my room and so then maybe it went down to 77 but still you can't expect to have a good sleep was it cool outside could you open a window Yes, but the problem is I'm on uh, ground floor, and so I don't feel comfortable. Oh, oh no, I have a um, a door, like not a door, but a sliding door. Uh-huh. So I don't feel comfortable having that open while I'm sleeping, mm. obviously. But now my boyfriend is creating this whole mechanism to like open the door a little bit. So he's like building something for That's me. That's love. It is love. I would love him to like just maybe fix the air conditioner, <laughs> not just like. I, I want a man to build me literally anything. I, it is hot. He took out his ruler thing today. His in ruler the thing. What's it called? The tape measure. Tape measure. His ruler. <laughs> uh, and he literally like in the morning. It was seven in the morning. He's like mm-hmm. doing all the measurements, and I'm like, this is kind of hot, mm-hmm. but I'm also wanting to go back to bed. Okay, let's get into <laughs> some what's trending this hour. Lots Shelby said up. we got to talk about the news. Why sh- you shouldn't drink until you're forty. Uh, we're going to be talking more about that in 15 minutes, and so stick around for that. I'm not. We have to get into some witch training this hour. Dr. Anthony Fauci told CNN that he plans to retire by the end of President Joe Biden's current term in office, though he didn't say uh, currently the retirement date that he had mined, but he just started the process. So Politico published this interview today where Fauci said he did not expect to remain in the government until coronavirus, though, is eradicated. Uh, here he is speaking to CNN. Obviously... You can't go on forever. I do want to do other things in my career, even though I'm at a rather advanced age. I have the energy and the passion to continue to want to pursue other aspects of my professional career. And I'm going to do that sometime. I'm not exactly sure when, but I don't see myself being in this job to the point where I can't do anything else after that. I mean, I, I think that more bobbleheads in the future are definitely something to look at. I've always you wanted see a the Fauci, Fauci bobblehead. Bobble I want one. Merch, maybe? Come on. Somebody mail me a man- Fauci bobblehead. I could see him starting a TikTok. That's yes. a career. Oh, my God. Okay. Finally, uh, this news came out over the weekend, and I kind of got triggered uh, because I'm a fan of these candies. A woman filed a lawsuit in California against Mars, Inc., accusing the multinational food company of failing to discontinue its use of a chemical toxin in its popular candy. Skittles. Uh, she is alleging she opened a Skittles package in April that still contained titanium dioxide, a chemical toxin that is found in paints, sunscreens, plastics, and cosmetics. So according to researchers, the side effects of titanium dioxide being digested into the body include chromosomal damage, body inflammation, cell necrosis, and dysfunction. I am a Red Skittles fan, so this was really difficult. Yeah, that's uh, that's like iconic candy right there yes so we'll see but I it mean, might kill you it's well i think it would be an extreme like you would have to have a lot but this isn't necessarily good i mean i'm probably not gonna have a skittles maybe unless i'm very intoxicated yeah and i just don't think about it anyway <laughs> that was what's trending this hour what's happening in entertainment news 
Well, um, one of the most legendary athletes in America has uh, gone on the record, and not for the first time, supporting the uh, LGBTQ community. Let's take a listen. I want to say this. If you're gay and transgender, I love you. Hey, and if anybody gives you you tell them Charles said you. That was NBA yes. legend Charles Barkley showing some love. And I, it wasn't like he was at a gay event either. He was just, you know, I mean, he was just being supportive. And this isn't the first time he's done it. He's he's uh, spoken out in support of the LGBTQ community uh, more than once, including against the infamous bathroom bill in North Carolina back in 2016. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy, and we're um, I'm glad he's in our ally. Definitely. This was a nice one, a good example. Yeah. Well, that was what's trending this hour in some entertainment news. But next up, what age could alcohol start benefiting you? And what does it do? before to you then. (laughs) I don't want to know. Maybe that's why I can't speak. Okay, next. (laughs) Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, a new study says that avoiding booze is the only way for younger people to avoid risking damage to their health. Oops. And the only times there's maybe a benefit is really if you're um, over 40. So under 40... It's not going to work for you. It's not like, when glass keeps the doctor away, or something like that. <laughs> or like, it'll help my blood flow. Your blood flow? Well, I don't know. Isn't it like it helps with your... Uh, I don't I'm know. bringing in the doctor, the real expert, Dr. James Simmons. Welcome back to the show. I mean, I've heard that, Shira. Thank that you. it's good for your blood flow. It's, it's still still quite arguable, but yes, I, I have heard that. Okay, I'm not crazy. Okay. Well, I didn't, no one said that. <laughs> exactly. So tell us more about this new study yeah well this is one in a in a very long line of studies about alcohol that have been coming out recently and it's really interesting this one is interesting in that it is ginormous it is huge they actually have been studying people across the globe from 1990 to 2020 so this is like a a meta analysis for those research nerds out there and essentially what they did is take all of these different alcohol-based studies or studies that included alcohol as a factor in terms of mortality in tons of different regions all over the globe. And essentially what they found is that no matter where you live, if you are particularly a cis male, and they only identified cisgender folks in the study, but particularly if you're a male, 15 to 39, drinking period is not good for you because it increases your risk of death from things like uh, car accidents, falling accidents, murders, and suicide, in some places by as much as 17-fold compared to people who don't drink. Not 17%, 17-fold. 17-fold, yeah. In some parts of the world, if you are a man under 40 and you drink any amount of alcohol, statistically, it would make you 17 times more likely to die of something accidental versus someone who did not drink. Okay, so what if you're, say, I don't know, a cisgender male who lives in or near West Hollywood and may or may not be approaching 40, uh, what what are his chances of of, uh, increased risk? I think um, his... Are we talking about risk or are we talking about dating? Oh, I'm kidding. Uh, Wow. (laughs) I know, I know. The the really controversial part of this study, though, is that there were, in some places like the U.K., for instance, individuals who were over 70, their risk was actually higher 
than the risk of people under 40. Really? So this study is getting a lot of headlines right now because it's like, oh my gosh, anyone under 40, basically you shouldn't drink because you're going to die in a car accident, is how this is being interpreted. Well, really, it's so specific to where you are. It's often pretty difficult to generalize these findings across the entire globe. Does that make sense? Yeah, but it seems like there's maybe this like middle point of life where it maybe is it, it doesn't damage you. It's not amazing for you, but it's okay, right? And then it like when you're younger, not good. And then you get to a place where you're older, and it also doesn't help you. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good point, Sharon. You kind of sum it up pretty well. What essentially they were looking at in the study was causes of de- you know alcohol related to different causes of death. And what they found is that for things like cardiovascular disease in the middle ages a very small amount of alcohol every day actually helped. Now, again, this is statistically. So they're taking everyone between the ages of 40 and 65 and saying, how much did you drink? And weeding out everything else, uh, gender and, uh, you know, uh, income and education level, all these different things, and saying, okay, basically just based on age and a drink a day, you're may be less likely overall to die of cardiovascular disease, which just muddies the water because we have recently had some studies saying that, well, it depends on how much alcohol you drink and it depends on what type of alcohol you drink. So I really want to caution people when you see this study and you you hear us talking about it now and you see the headlines, it's really difficult to take these global statistics and sort of apply them to your own life, depending on where you live. Well, you did a great job of segueing to that point from my very, very personal question. Um, and I, but you know, this makes me think about. I've heard before that you know, human brains don't stop developing until you're like 28 or something like that. I mean, there are other reasons why young people should be really cautious about drugs and alcohol, right? Yeah, you know, the study authors really came to this conclusion that under no circumstances is alcohol really good for anyone under 40. <laughs> like they just were like very bold, very bold in that, right? They're like, if you're under 40, alcohol is not good for you at all. Everyone else should not actively seek out drinking alcohol to improve their health. Uh... But if you're already drinking, and this, this is the great part, their definition of a drink, by the way, is pretty wild. Uh, for a glass of wine, it's a 3.4 ounce glass of wine. Do you have you ever had a 3.4 ounce glass of wine? I don't even but know. essentially, they're gulp. taking these. That's like really right, exactly right. They're taking these very very small amounts of alcohol, and they're Damn. saying, "All right, statistically, if you drink this much every day, you're going to have a little less likelihood of dying from cardiovascular disease if you're between 40 and 70." Wow. Damn. This All hurts right. in a way that I didn't expect. Well, it makes sense. Just everything I in moderation. Know. It's, ve- it's very, very sad. Well, uh, these authors would tell you, Shira, that that is actually not the case oh. anymore, that you should really just, like, not drink. Because they were very clear in the study. You know, this was a ginormous study. It took me forever to read. But they essentially Sorry. were saying, listen, don't seek out alcohol to help your health. Like, okay. They don't. They, they essentially yeah, don't even say moderation. Yeah, I got it. So no, yeah, that if I'm, I'm going to get drunk, key. I'm taking one for the team, basically. You're regressing. They, exactly. Yeah. I mean, how do you think J Lo got to where she is? <laughs> okay, that was uh, Dr. James Simmons. Thank you again. We really appreciate it. You got it. All right, what's coming up next, Ryan? Oh my gosh, um, this honestly, that conversation just changed my life. So, the next conversation we're going to have is what you can do to your calendar to save some time in your day. Coming up next, I love that. Yes.
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, Channel Q. So some something that comes up every time I'm in the studio with Shira is we talk about oh. the way we manage our time. Yes, that's true. It's true, right? And so The Guardian just came out with an article, and this is my favorite title because it's both triggering and inspiring, Overworked and Burnout, How to Claw Back Time in Your Day. Isn't claw, that what it feels claw like? Claw back? Yeah, that how to intense. claw back. It's right. <laughs> um, so, so let me ask first, what do you do that works? Uh, well, every week it seems like I'm coming up with new strategies. <laughs> you got to keep trying stuff. Uh, so my latest is uh, I, I set up my Calendly, which is I'm years late on this. Like people start doing this and I don't know why I associated it like, oh, I see. You're like, you want me to set it up. Like it becomes yeah. that thing. Uh huh. And I just said, F it. I have so many people trying to get on calls with me and I'm so sick of going back and forth my calendar like it gets like I get a headache right or if you're on your phone out of pocket so I just said here's a link so that saves me a few minutes yeah and and probably a lot of mental mental energy that's the thing is people don't realize it's not even about uh, how much time something takes it's the mental energy right and knowing what for you takes a lot of the mental energy so I did that I recently set up my Trello Mm. which is like an easy way to track what you need to do your to-do list. I was doing my sticky notes. I was doing physical sticky notes. I was doing a journal book. I was doing email drafts. I had notes everywhere. Uh-huh. So putting it in one place like actually makes it a lot less overwhelming. And then you just like delete it as you go. Also, it's digital, so you can't lose it. True. Yeah, I can't. I can't tell you how many times I like restarted the same list. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Those have been the two things. Um, really that have helped recently but it's definitely hard and I think just um, for me it's accepting the fact that I can't do everything all at once and like mm. some things are going to have to wait and some people are going to have to wait yeah and amen that is it and that's it that's the T and that that Calendly link thing is great because if you say to people hey you know scheduling can be a pain for everybody so I wanted to save us a little time I have this Calendly link and people usually appreciate it if you frame and it that way what I was saying is to you in the break that usually I schedule 30 minute calls or hour long calls Yeah, I've gone to 30 minutes with calls that I know that need to be an hour. Like an hour is like, we need to go deep. We mm-hmm. have a lot of business to do, yeah. right? This yeah. is a big deal. I notice people are ch- clicking off or checking off the 15 minute. Yeah. Most people actually want a short, quick to the point call. Yes. And I am okay I with know that. I do. Well, I, I think Calendly is great. I totally agree. I also, you know, something this article talks about is scheduling your breaks in advance. Kind of like treat it as much of a, it's just as important as any other task in your day. That's something I need to add. Yeah. That's something yeah. that I think that's the next stage that we'll go into maybe um, two weeks from now. Yeah. Or yeah. After I have like a little um, friend's birthday out of town, I think the week after that, I'm going to start doing that. Because right now, I have no schedule for my working out. Oh, which means yeah. I don't end up working out. Yeah. Well, and to that point about in a couple of weeks, you really should only make one change at a time. Yes. But don't don't try to change twenty things at once. Try change That's one really one good, manageable. Yeah. Start with easy things too. Yeah. One thing. Don't do a, a second thing until two weeks later. Yeah. That's actually really good to know. So like, I just made this change, which is helping, and now it's going to be like, okay, well, that already is started. People are yeah. booking out next week, so. How can I add in that next thing? Like the workout thing for me is high on the list because um, I just I, I'm like I'm not I didn't just turn forty I'm almost forty, um, and you know I gotta keep in shape. Yeah, and also because yeah. of the work I do. How wow. Well, also you know the 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 thing about what we're talking about is scheduling your 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 off time, scheduling your breaks. You know, people talk about that as self care. That's not self care. That's maintenance. Self care is deliberately taking time. 
aside from the work yeah. that the time you already have to go do the spa day thing. You know, you're that's right. That's self care. That what you're saying, it's essential. Actually. It's essential. It's like, essential. I think we acted as if oh, and and it is a privilege. Listen, like if you have that time, and really, it shouldn't be. It yeah. should be like whether you have a lot of money or not. It's like these are things you could do, like taking a walk outside mm-hmm. or taking a jog. Yeah. Or saying, all right, I'm gonna like close my eyes for five minutes mm-hmm. like it is actually not natural to be working like non-stop it isn't it isn't and the thing that people what we do is we tell ourselves we're we're good at our jobs or we're hard workers and that's totally. why you are worse at your job if your brain isn't resting regularly and that can even be 15 minutes at a time you are not better at your job just because you didn't take your break today that's not what that is yeah we're just i think that is a societal thing yeah work on that friends we're working on it together oh my god oh my i love gosh. this right. I, I, I love these conversations because I think there's always something I gain from it and something new I learn. Absolutely. So, there's always more to learn. Thank you for that. How to claw your way out of burnout. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. Oh my God, so much stuff there. Okay, next up. What this professional had to say on LinkedIn to the next generation of queer people coming into the workplace. Mm. Next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, a millennial's post about how LGBTQ plus rights have changed in her lifetime is also a big message for Gen Z. And this happened on LinkedIn. It's a post that's going viral. So um, according to a source at LinkedIn, searches on the platform about coming out at work have increased by a whopping 350% since 2020. Mm. Isn't that wild? That shows, one, people, well, a lot of people are uh, closeted possibly or trying to figure out how to do it in a quote-unquote professional way workplaces are they as open and accepting right or do do the people in the community feel that way yeah they need to look it up right that's crazy so at the same time a linkedin survey last month found that one in three lgbtq plus professionals still don't feel safe enough to come out at work i can i mean i can appreciate that you know i i uh i grew up in east tennessee and in my first few jobs i mean it was a it was a scary choice to come out Mm, um you know when i moved to la it was better but it wasn't, you know, it's it's it only because I and probably a false sense of safety because oh I'm in L.A. It's yeah, you totally. know, um, I, I a lot of bias is uh, implicit. People don't realize they have it. Um, also, I found once I did start coming out at work, women felt entirely entitled to make me a sexual thing, like to, <laughs> like like they you know like. Um, I've, I can't tell you how many women have, like, once they find out I'm gay, they're like, oh, touch my boobs. Like, that happens a lot. No. Yes, a lot. And how it, is that even professional? Like, isn't that our HR issue? Well, that's the thing is, I mean, I, and, and not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I mean, you know, being a gay men have existed for centuries being the appendage of, of straight women. Of so I don't, you know, but. But still, that is really inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It I is. mean, we're not in high school. Yeah. Right? But anyway, right. to this point, though, I think, you know, um, I, uh, I consult for a company, uh, one of my, a good friend of mine, his company, and, and one of the things we've talked about is, you know, they just required everybody at work, regardless of how they identify, yeah. to include their pronouns and their si- email signatures. Great. So so instead of it being, a, 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 you know, a coded signal, hey, I'm in the LGBTQ community, everybody does it. We all are sensitive to making sure everybody uses the correct pronouns. And so everybody feels included without having to out themselves just to be addressed the way that they should be addressed. Yeah, I, I actually like that. On Zooms, I try to add that to my Zoom. And you'll see right now, it's like I'm usually, maybe there's me and someone else. Usually there's one other person or I'm the only person right now mm-hmm. doing that. Yeah. But it, it is interesting how those things are changing. So this post that went viral on LinkedIn, it, uh, it comes from a 31-year-old um, Londoner, Emma Searle, who wrote this moving post about LGBTQ plus rights and how things have changed in our lifetime. She wrote, 
when my parents were born, homosexuality was illegal. When I was born, homosexuality was still listed as a mental illness in the ICD. And she says she loves seeing how many Gen Zers are embracing their queerness at work, saying, I think it's amazing how confident and open so many young queer people are now, though we must be clear that it's still mostly white, middle-class young people that have this confidence. Mm -hmm. Working class, black, Asian, and other queer people still often face heightened discrimination and prejudice when coming out. Well, I mean, you know... uh, uh, uh privilege is is additive you know if every the more boxes you check the more at risk you are and that's just a fact uh, so you know white cisgender queer people are going to have an easier time uh, based on the facts and the data that we yeah. have uh, than than others but you know I think I think that what's really incumbent upon everybody is whether we're in the LGBTQ community or not is to be vocal and visible advocating for deliberate inclusivity um, at work, so that it's a matter of course. Everybody is comfortable being themselves at work, and not every workplace has that. But but you know, Gen Zers are in the workplace and have the potential to make that yeah. happen. And we talked about this last week too. It's like allyship at work, what that looks like, and really, if you're hearing something, say something. Yes. Right? And it doesn't just mean, which is true, going to HR and saying if you've seen something, but it's actually like if it's safe to talk to the person who said something, saying like, do you realize why this is offensive? This is actually not the right thing to say. Like, do you know about this and why it's wrong? Yeah, yeah. And when people are making jokes that are inappropriate, it's not a, you know, it, there's a way to say, you know what, look, I, I, I realize you're just trying to be funny, but that's, you know, not a cool thing to say at work, you know? Yeah. There's or a way to general. handle that. Or in general. And in general, yeah. that's not cool. You don't say that anymore. Yeah, but there, there's a way to do it without, you know, without feeling like you're going to, you know, ruin your relationship with that person. Or ruin their, their job. Yeah, ruin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although, you know, a few strikes. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Okay. So speak up. Yeah. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Well, we are back and wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yaz Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. I just want to follow up, up with Yes, Queen, because I feel like I should do the bass and, since he's doing the tenor. Okay. Uh, right? Anyway, so let's talk about Julian Mercado, who you may know uh, from the L Word Generation Q. Um, but so she's also, she uses a wheelchair because uh, she experiences muscular dystrophy, okay. but she's also a model. So she has modeled for Nordstrom Target, Olay, Calvin Klein, Bumble 100, Diesel. Um, and so she also has modeled Beyonce's uh, Formation World Tour merchandise. She's kind of a badass, but she's also, this I find really impressive, um, met with the United Nations Secretary General to advocate for women and girls with disabilities. I mean, she's just an incredible human being, uh, a member of the uh, LGBTQ community who is using um, the the cards she's been dealt to advocate for people like her and others. I mean, I'm so inspired by her, and so she's so worth celebrating, I think. That is so awesome. I love how she's doing so much, whether it be like in mainstream media or for those who need to be seen and heard. Yes. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. Yes, Queen. Yes, Well, queen. with that, that does it for our show today. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. We are back weekdays here live on Channel Q, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific, 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern live. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything abridged. By the way, we edit it down as a podcast. It's very quick and easy uh, to check out. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There with Sheer and Ryan. What's coming up? Uh, Tomorrow, Shelby. Well, Ryan Basham is back here with us. <gasps> okay. I just found out I'm going to be back. So that's Surprise. exciting. Oh my god, I got to clear my schedule. <laughs> yeah, duh. Well, they're be like, I got to clear my skin. Not, well, <laughs> that too. Put on a mask tonight. How dare you? You're looking at my face right now, saying this. <laughs> no. 
Thank God we're not a visual medium. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, and that does it. If I haven't said that already, we are sending you love and light and stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's talking about traits partners seek and seek to avoid. That's next. Have a great night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey. 